back to On the Mic with Mike Peters. This week's guest is Utica comedian Brendan McGurk. He is super funny, so funny, in fact, that I had to talk to him twice. We met up in January at the Fish Guy Media Network Studios, and Brendan and I both had shows to get to. We recorded a couple podcasts earlier, so we had to cut it short, and we met up again in February. And unfortunately, the sound quality is a little bit different, so you're going to absolutely tell the difference. I apologize for that. Won't happen in the future. It might happen in the future. I have no idea. Who knows what's going to happen? I might die. But Brennan's really funny. We talked about his start in comedy. Uh, he's teaching comedy classes at the Uptown Theater in Utica. And he's just an all-around good guy. He runs a podcast called This Is Not Acceptable. And I was on that. It's really funny. So please download that episode after you listen to this one. And follow along to everything Brennan's doing. Thanks, guys, so much. Take care of yourselves and stay safe. Peeling back my sunburnt skin I'll wait outside your bedroom I I hope they let me in Brendan McGurk, man, how you doing? Good, how are you doing, Mike? I'm doing well. You're from Utica. Uh, yes. Ish, yeah, yeah. Ish. How, how do you define Utica, like that, that comedy scene? Is it just Rome, anywhere around? Yeah, yeah like, it's, it's like, anywhere, yeah. <laughs> Good. Sure. Yeah. 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 Uh, anywhere between Rome to uh, halfway to you to, oh, okay, to Binghamton, okay. so, and then halfway to to so Norwich up. Yeah. I gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You've been in what eight years now? Seven eight years? Comedy? Yeah. I started when I was eighteen, nineteen. I am twenty five, turning twenty six. You're old, man. Yeah. yeah. Old. You ever yeah. think about retiring? I mean, it's uh, every day. Up there. Okay. <laughs> what got you into comedy? Uh, well, you know, I was always the funny kid in school, and then I find that very hard to believe. When I uh, <laughs> when I was freshman in college, I went to uh, audition for the improv troupe, which was yeah. like actually a big deal. Like we would fill up Warren Entrance Theater, which was the big theater, it was like a thousand cap in the college, and I auditioned, and I was the only freshman to get in, and then it was short form, and so it was fun, and it's the only form of uh, improv right. that's enjoyable to watch and be in i'm kidding uh, but uh, i was the only freshman to get in and it was a lot of fun and ever since then so what truly happened the first time i did comedy it was because i had a, a good friend of mine named harley was a musician and we'd go out to funk and waffles in syracuse every tuesday for the mix mic for, for him to play and we'd go and support and then every time i was like oh man i gotta do comedy i gotta do comedy and i never would and then finally he's like you know what you've been talking this shit forever we're gonna sign up right i'm gonna sign you up and i was like no 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 he's like nope I'm signing you up. It doesn't matter. So the drive to Syracuse, which is about an hour long, real, I was like, fuck, I got to write a set. And like I had like jokingly written jokes, but nothing I used. And actually, one of the jokes I wrote on the way there is still one of my favorite jokes that I Do you used. still use it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, I think you probably heard it before. It was like, um, my girlfriend broke up with me because she said I was too depressed. So oh, I yeah. I said, well, this isn't going to help. Yes, that's a yeah. good one. Yeah, yeah it always gets it. good pop. I, yeah, I think so. And I wrote it on the way to my first mic. Who are your biggest com uh, comedy influences? So, aside from me, aside from you, okay. Back in so, I was I I'd like to be um, Bo Burnham was a huge one yeah. for me. Um, I feel like everybody around like twenty three, twenty six, yeah, they gravitate sure. toward Bo Burnham. Mm -hmm. Andy Kaufman. I, I'm not a big Burnham fan. I just That's, I get, he's I not get, for everyone. I get what he's doing, and I think it's innovative. I just couldn't latch onto it. Yeah. And that's the thing. I really appreciate. I appreciated the showmanship of yeah. his comedy. Um, but like, yeah, Bo Burnham, Andy Kaufman. Uh, you know, sounds hard. It, it's hard to say now. But when I was a kid, 
my dad had uh, a, a vinyl record of Bill Cosby himself. himself. And I memorized every yep, single me word too. of it. Me too. My dad, uh, we had a cassette. That's how old I am. Mm-hmm. Of course, he just said vinyl. So, <laughs> yeah, he we on car trips to yeah. visit my grandparents. Have we you ever himself. seen a connection? Such a good album. It's a great album. That is great. Well, do you know Louis C.K.? I forget which which album he had. Uh, God, it was it wasn't chewed up. It was hilarious, maybe. Okay, uh, but I think it was taped or recorded because like it was just Louis, mm-hmm. like no audience reaction. And he modeled that after Bill Cosby. Yeah, and uh, live in concert, Richard Pryor. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it which, was those two. That I think it, I think it was those two. And Louis like I like the way they did it. It mm-hmm. was all the comedian all the time. Yeah, and sounds like it was no matter what he did now, he's innovative. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, so those guys, and uh, yeah, I just loved, I just loved comedy. I, I always loved stand up comedy. But you did, but you decided not to roofie people, and I did. And give them quaaludes. Well, I'm still, it's still young in my career. Okay, you know? okay, all right. Well, you, you got, you got. Places to be to go. famous first. That's true. <clears throat> I've heard if you're famous, you can do whatever you want for at least 50 years before he catches up. <laughs> right. And, and by the time you get to like 77, 80, whatever. Yeah. You know, get out of here. I've lived a good life. I can go to prison. Right. <laughs> I think I met you at one of Canarelli's comedy I was, yeah, shows. Because I was thinking about it when yeah. he asked me, I was like, where did we meet? And I think it was at... I'm pretty the, sure the, it was the Laugh Contest. It was either the Laugh Contest contest or an open mic at Maddie B's, but I think it yeah. was the laugh contest. I think so because I think, I think I think Phil and you guys started coming to Maddie B's after I made my appearance up there. Probably. Probably because I'm so charming and everything. Mm, yeah, definitely. You know, that's gotta be what it was. It was definitely the tie in the cargo pants. <laughs> I was definitely wearing a tie in a cargo pants at the time, yes. I had a joke where I, I liked it because I, I said, and I think I mentioned this on the podcast, I haven't released yet, but uh, I wore that tie a lot of large reasons because I had one joke I really liked and it was like, yeah, I like I like doing comedy and wearing a tie because if it doesn't go well, I'm one step closer to hanging myself. Yeah, yeah, right. And I'm like, yeah, like any, I like jokes that end in my death, and a lot yeah, of people yeah. do like that because mm-hmm. they like to they fantasize about my death. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it makes it easier. <laughs> I get it. Hey, I get it. <laughs> you're there too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how do you like the Utica scene? I mean, you're you're heavily involved with the Uptown Theater, and you're doing a class there. Mm-hmm. So I mean, how how much has that grown over the last couple of years? Dude, it's insane, especially with. The, the 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 rebirth of yeah. the theater because I remember two years ago it was me Phil Canarelli Cortland Clues bad start and Larry O'Grady and that was we were the it yeah I mean Will had was either still in Will Phillips he yeah. was either still in L A or he just moved back and he wasn't doing comedy and Farda had his thing yeah but as local comedians went it was just us and we had to drive to get up twice a week I'd have to drive to Syracuse and then Binghamton yeah. And that sucked. And then... Right, because you had a monthly mic here, right? Kind of. Okay. It was a monthly mic at Brews, and again, we were the only comedians, and it was just weird people playing instruments, and that was it. Then we started going to... There's a really, really awesome cafe that um, is closed now, but it was called um, The Tram. Yeah. And uh, they'd have poetry nights, and they were kind enough to let us crash there and do comedy on poetry nights, and that was great, because... One, we get like eight minutes, which was sick. And two, it was not an audience full of comedians. We were just talking about on the last podcast we did, where yeah. it was it was literally everyone there was not there to do comedy. And so we were kind of like a novelty. And also, if we can make the weird artsy people laugh, like that was a good sign. A lot you of knew them the were, joke worked. Yeah, it was a lot of pretentious poets. I mean, all of them were very nice people and they're very kind to us. But but the art itself is kind yeah, of pretentious. Yeah. And and so when I go up there talking about farts in my dick and it works, like that's a good sign. Especially the farts out of your dick. Mm-hmm. Because it's impressive. Yeah, for sure. 
What have you gained? I mean, you're obviously, you started at 19, you're 25. Mm-hmm. What have you gained from comedy? Like, how has that helped you get out of your shell? I've gained an outlet. Okay. For sure. I've always done creative stuff. Like, I remember, like, in high school, I would get out of writing papers because I would do a video or whatever. I've definitely gained a focused outlet. I've gained purpose. You know, I struggle with depression. I thought about killing myself a lot. And now I'm only going to kill myself when my comedy career doesn't take right. off. Right. So, so it's, yeah. So if anybody's booking shows. Yeah, for sure. If you don't, if you ignore this guy too much longer, he's not going to be your here. your fault. Yeah. My fault. God damn it. No, no. But yeah, I've gained an outlet. I've gained focus. I've gained purpose. I've gained friends. Um, like I said, uh, I've, all of my friends are either through like, Middle school, Magic the Gathering, or comedy, and like that's it. Um, I wouldn't broadcast a lot of those. <laughs> oh, fuck it, it's fun. I love Magic the Gathering. I got Magic the Gathering tattoo. I don't care. Do you really? Yeah. yeah How yeah. many tattoos do you have? Um, if you count, you got tattoos on all fingers. Like, let's count. I'll count as, that as one. Count that as one. Yeah. So what does one. Say? What does it say? It says stay true. Okay. I'm a straight edge. Right. Yep. Little loser. So yep. I say stay true. Uh, I have uh, these, which I'll count as one. I have a barber pole and a straight razor on my hands because I'm a master of barber. Okay. And when I got my license, I got those. I have both of my feet done. I have my calf done on this side. I have below the knee and above the knee. I have both behind the ears. Okay. So I... And I like how you wear a hat all the time so nobody can see them. Yeah, it's a little bit. Oh, okay. I got you. I got you. Yeah. 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 Um, And I have one on my upper thigh. Nice. Can't wait to see that later. I'll show you. I'm really regretting my... It was my, um, (laughs) my best friend ever. And I got matching tattoos because in high school... On your upper thighs? Yeah. Well, the, the, the story is uh, in high school, we went to like a backwoods, small-minded high school, and we were so close that everyone thought we were gay. And we'd always say, no, we're not oh, gay. Funny. We're pseudo-homosexual life partners. So we have pseudo tattooed right next to our dicks. Oh, that's great. And the best part is it was done by our friend who is not a tattoo artist, who just bought a tattoo gun. And it was a... Um, it was like three in the morning, and he was a, he was a drummer. And I want to preface this: you don't drink. I don't drink. Okay, so this uh, is all your fault. And the guy was yeah. also straight edge. Okay, so he was a drummer. He had just done a two hour set. It was three in the morning, and we because he lived out near Albany. Yeah, uh, and so we were out visiting him because for the show, and it was the weekend before we both left for college. We were eighteen years old. And he's like, man, I'm so tired. I don't want to do them. They're going to turn out shitty. And I was like, listen, if you don't do them now, we're never going to get them yeah. because he's going to college. I'm going to college. I'm sent into the state. It needs to happen now. So he did them at four in the morning. And I remember sleeping on his basement floor like, what the fuck did I just do? It's a terrible tattoo, but it's my favorite tattoo. Um, no regrets, obviously. No regrets. You want with to see it right now? No, no. Right with, any, with any tattoo, do you, have you regretted any of them? No. No, I, I don't. Because the thing with tattoos is everyone assumes that everyone means everything. Yeah. So the first one meant a lot. It's it's for, I have a strawberry on my calf. Uh, uh, my grandfather and I grew strawberries together. Oh, okay. So it's, it's strawberry and then his name and dates. Second one. He's dead, right? He is dead. Just yeah. checking. I, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you predicted the date or what. <laughs> yeah, it says uh, Grandpa, 1922 you, question mark. Yeah. I'll get a fix. You, you better. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, the second one was that upper thigh tattoo, which right. still means a lot to me because it's yeah. my best friend. Third one was my D and D group all got matching tattoos of 20 sided dice. So I got that on my foot. Fourth tattoo was like my favorite TV show growing up. And then magic. Growing pains? Uh, uh, Avatar of the last airbender. Oh, I would never have guessed that. No, no, no. Uh, I mean, I like, I have a Riggies tattoo. Okay. We we're just talking about that. Yeah. Which uh, it still kind of means a lot to me, but yeah. Utica. Yeah. It's, homegrown. I wanted a home, 
uh, like a home tattoo that only people from my hometown would understand. Yeah. I, how do you how do you draw depression? Because that's how I would do it. With uh, a frowny face. A frowny face. Oh, that that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like oh, Forrest Gump fan. Yeah. <laughs> oh, now he did that. Be happy. Yeah, but don't yeah. worry. Be happy. Uh, you don't drink. You don't nope. smoke. I mean, mm-hmm. it was, why why did you choose that way? I guess okay. So when I was a kid, like I said, I grew up in the woods outside of Utica, yeah. essentially. Uh, Just and no access to. <laughs> alcohol well no not that but it's like it was the opposite everyone all we could do like parties party, would party happen in, in the, the state lands yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah and i felt like i needed to be different um but more more acutely like my dad was he struggled with addictions and it was a, it put a bad taste in my mouth right and also it's just something i never wanted and uh, and because a lot of people especially when you're 18 because i've i've had sips of alcohol i've never had an alcoholic drink yeah. never been drunk same thing with weed i've never tried weed uh, or any other drug. But um, especially at that age, when everyone else is doing it, people think that it's like a pretentious thing and you think you're better than them, especially when they're drunk, which oh, was yeah. never yeah. the case. I don't care. Like, I think we should be legal. I, all of my friends drink. I, it's not, I don't care. I just don't care. But it's a personal choice. And a lot of people have a hard time believing that. Has that been tough? I mean, maybe not because it's in your mind, but do you think it's been tough to maintain while doing comedy? Because you're always in a bar. Well, the thing is, the only thing I've ever struggled with, with like temptation, I guess, if you want to say that, because again, it's never been a thing. Like I've never felt pressured or, or wanted to, but like it is kind of fun when all the comedians go out and smoke. Yeah. It's social. You miss the social yeah. aspect. I still go out there with them. Yeah, but I f- sometimes like I just want something to do with my hands. Well, I didn't smoke pot until I was thirty-five. Yeah, and didn't like it. And it, it just you know I don't know if it was because I was too old mm-hmm. or you know I outgrew it or you know I think I don't know. I'm gonna say at most I smoked pot eight times. Mm-hmm. I think I got high once. I think. Yeah, and it was it just seemed like a waste of money and time, and I don't like the smell. Mm-hmm. So and it, if I, I I don't think I ever went out right afterward, but I would just be completely paranoid if I did. Yeah, and people could tell. Like for the people who who don't think you can smell pot, you're like you're a fucking idiot. Like yeah. it's it's the worst smell. Maybe yeah. I mean maybe not the worst smell, but it's it's there. Yeah, and it's like I would just be completely paranoid that people know <clears throat> I'm high mm-hmm. or whatever. So like it, it just not not one part of it sounded fun for me. Yeah, at all. Yeah. So do, are you, are you a punk rock guy? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, we, yeah. yeah thing too, we're bonding I, over. Musicians. And I wonder. I wonder if that's part of like like the reason you went straight edge. I mean, it's, it's especially because around the time when everyone, all of my friends, were experimenting with drinking yeah. and drugs and stuff, I was really into fucking Ghost Ship. Do you, do you remember Ghost Ship? No, I don't actually. So Ghost Ship and and Earth Crisis too. Okay. But Ghost Ship it was a local from Syracuse, uh, a hardcore straight edge band, and uh, I fucking love them. And but but again, it was never like oh man, maybe I should drink. It was just something I never wanted to do. Yeah. But finding finding like the hardcore straight edge scene, it gave a name to it, and that's the reason I have the tattoos. I'm sure if I've never heard of straight edge, I still probably wouldn't drink. The only reason I knew straight edge at the time was uh, MXPX. Oh fuck you know? yeah, They're I such love a, MXPX. Such a great fuck. Have you heard their last album? No. Fucking great. Yeah. So I'm glad I said the F word there. They swear now. Yeah? Yeah, Mike Carrera is, it's fascinating for me at least. Because, you know, they were always this band that's like, oh, we're not Christian punk, but we are. Like, Mm -hmm. we're not Christian rock, but 
all of our members are Christian. Like it was like this weird line, like all the, and I, I'm sure they weren't even like having any part in this argument, but like all the fans who didn't want to like Christian rock. Yeah. Uh, were like, no, they're just punks, whatever. And a couple songs had Jesus, but whatever. Mm. And, but Mike Carrera, I read, he had this falling out with organized religion. Yeah. And he goes, he just didn't see the point in this. And, and essentially, he kind of thinks what, what I think. It's like, if you're a good person, you're a good person. Exactly. And like, that's, that's what it is. Like, I've never mm-hmm. been religious, whatever. But they fucking, uh, it's a really good album. It's, I think it's, it's self-titled. And they quote the movie Friday. And the, the line is like, you know, goddamn refrigerator. That's the first swear word he, they put out, and it's goddamn. It's like, That's wow, if, if, you're, yeah. if, you're, if you're going to announce you're going to swear now, goddamn mm-hmm. is the one to do. So <clears throat> I, sure. I, I, I'm pretty sure, I don't, motherfucker or, something, or fucker, something like that. It's the mm-hmm. F word and goddamn. And I'm like, okay, they're different. And they just have a different attitude. Yeah. But it's a really good album. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But no, that's that's how I knew. And I, I dated a woman in college who didn't she one of the reasons she didn't want to go out with me anymore was because I was quote unquote too straight edge. <laughs> and I was like, no, like straight like I drink, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't smoke, I don't do pot, and I have premarital sex with you kind of a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, were you there or not? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, you just don't like the fact that I'm preventing you from smoking pot. Mm-hmm. And that was like a huge disagreement with with some of the, like a lot of the women I've dated. It's just it's been the drug thing where mm. I don't I don't subscribe to it, mm. and that's a turnoff. I guess I'm like, all right, it's fine. Yeah, but if you run into that, those problems at all, like when you're dating somebody, like are they just like, oh, come on, smoke pot, why not? No, like, I've never been like literally ever. Yeah. I've never felt pre, and that's the thing too. It's like peer pressure was never. Yeah, and like I'm again, I'm still young, I'm 25, yeah. but I've no one's ever been like, oh, come on. Like and like I've been around people I like, around people I don't like. I think peer pressure is made up. But I have had for some reason, and again, I say this because I literally feel no way. If you're like if you're a heroin addict, I'm not gonna date you. Yeah. Obviously. But that's but like if you smoke, if you drink, that's fine. All of my girlfriends have smoked and drank. But it's like for some reason, me being straight edge, it's like a weird mirror, and then they project their own insecurities yeah. on it like to me. Which is like I, what you're seeing is not what I'm seeing. So I think you need to address why you're drinking and smoking. But like I don't care. If you are, you're at an open mic or at a show and you see a comedian who's obviously drunk mm-hmm. or has had one too many or whatever, is kind of like he's slurring. You missed that joke, and mm-hmm. and you think, oh, maybe it's because the booze. Do you ever judge them? Like, listen, like that's why I don't do no. this stuff. Like, you know, it, do you feel like kind of secure in yourself? Say, hey, that'll never happen to me because I'm not allowing this toxin in in there no no because again like i don't because i don't think of it yeah it's, it's not like this is something different about, it's just like i don't want to and it's fine like it's a drink it's getting drunk it's getting high it's completely different sometimes it's annoying but it's annoying to people who drink too yeah yeah you mean if, if there's a drunk guy on stage not making sense and you have to sit through it for eight eight minutes yeah, yeah. that's annoying but i uh no it's never like oh that's never gonna happen to me because i've i bombed Right. Like, I've bombed. I will bomb again. Probably so, tonight. Yeah, probably uh, tonight. Uh, how do you, like, I, I've, I've talked to people <laughs> in, in Pennsylvania, and I've been around, uh, but, you know, there are some people who, who cannot go on stage to just without a drink to quell the nerves. Like, what do you do to, to take the nerves away? Um, I don't. Okay. I think it's one of those things where I embrace the nerves. Sometimes they're not even there at this point. Yeah. But usually when they are there, I know it's going to be a good show. Because no matter what, I just commit fully. And if I have a lot of nerves, that helps me get there. 
because I'm very animated on stage. I do a lot of screaming. Not always. Like, uh, and it's not like angry screaming. Right. But, and, no, yeah, I, yeah. and I like moving my body in funny ways to ex- accentuate the jokes. But yeah, nerves, I think, are good. I think nerves n- mean that you still care. When did you start feeling comfortable on stage? Um, three years in. Okay. Three years in. Um, was there a moment that clicked with you? Yeah. Yeah, it was actually one of Farda's shows. Okay. Where I ran out of material. I thought I had more material than I did, and I didn't. And I was like, all right, well, I'm out of material. Let's talk to you guys. And then I just did some crowd work. I, I'm pretty good at crowd work. Yeah. And that's something I realized. And it was, and it was more about, A, it, it, and, it's, and it's the, and this thing I like to talk about where it's not you in your own head. It's you outside of yourself saying like, okay, I don't have material. What else am I going to do? If you look at it like a, like you're just looking at the processes behind being yeah. on stage. Like, is the crowd, did this work? No? Okay, let me, then they're not going to like this next joke that I'm going to do. So let me do this one. Or, oh, now I finished that joke. I want to start a new joke, but oh, I can ask this question to a crowd member to sort of, yeah. Once I start looking at the interaction between me and the crowd in like, um, like a third person view, that's when the nerves go. Cause that's when I know I'm in control. That's why, that's when I know, oh, they're eating out of my hand. Like, I'm, I'm good. You know what I mean? I mean, you're coming through through Utica, and how was it difficult to get on that first book show? I mean, for, you started in 19. Did you start around this area? No, or was so it back in college? I, I didn't do – so I did improv in college, but I never did stand-up. Okay. I didn't do a show in Utica for like uh, a year and a half. The first thing I did in Utica was a laugh contest, which okay. I ended up winning that year. Probably two years. All I was doing for two years was open mic at Funk and Waffles. Okay, all right. Yeah. You wouldn't change it now, I guess, because you had to grow. No, no, no. But, I mean, do you think you would have been a different comedian had you had those opportunities to get on stage quicker? No. Okay. No, no, I, um, because it's one of those things where it's like, we were talking about, you know, like, earning your lumps. Yeah. There's, there are, like, you want to earn your lumps, go to a mix mic. Oh, yeah, yeah. Go, go to a, a, nightmares. a, a college bar where the only people there are A, drunk, or B, musicians wanting to get on, and then went over a crowd. That's how you grow as a comedian. I think. And that's how you, and, and another thing too, that kind of bothers me and not from like a, like a mean judgmental way, but like, come on, like you can do better is when comedians, especially at a mic that is empty and it's just comedians and no one's going to do good at that night. Yeah. Like if there's 10 comedians in a room, no one's doing good. But when someone will start doing a new joke, it doesn't work because there's 10 comedians in the room. And then halfway through the joke, they're like, Oh, okay. That's not working. And then move on. Like finish the joke. Yeah. If, like, for nothing, joke. if for nothing more than get it memorized in your head. Exactly. Because, like I said, it's practice. Open mics are practice. So practice. It's fine. Not, you know, not all practices go well. Right. Sometimes you fail. Have you noticed, like, I know the numbers are bigger now in Utica. Yeah. Uh, have you noticed the talent kind of develop quicker? Well, it's one of those things where it's like these people should have done comedy years ago. Yeah. Like, there's, and because of the uptown, now there is room. Because I, I, I used to have to go seek it. Right, like I said, I used to go to Syracuse. We we plan trips. We drive together. We rotate right, driving. Car, yeah. yeah, but now people who are like, oh, this place is here, and also sometimes it's frustrating because they're like, oh, I'm just doing this as a hobby. I'm like, no, you could do this. You could yeah. be. You can do this more as than more than a hobby. And sometimes that's yeah, it blows my mind that this talent was here. When do you think you developed your voice? I mean, obviously you're probably still developing it, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, you're you're very autobiographical. Yeah. And it's not, not a whole lot of absurd things. Some absurd things. But 
again, based in autobiography, yeah. where I like to take stories. I like so what I like to do is a mixture between deep introspective self therapy yeah. and then just a quirky nothing. I like I like the juxtaposition of potty humor and then like self reflection. Yep. Probably in the past three years. Do you go to therapy? No. Have you ever gone? Uh, yes. While you were doing comedy? Yeah. Was it beneficial to you or no? Yeah. I mean, if I had insurance, I would do it. Oh, okay. Gotcha. I would go. I gotcha. yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. No, 100%. And, yeah. and that's the thing we were talking about in the last episode where it's like, I didn't do anything like at halfway through last year. And it wasn't just, I didn't do comedy. I just didn't leave the house. I went to work sometimes. I would call out a lot and I would just lay in bed. And that's frustrating too because, okay, so like I was saying, comedy is my goal. It's my purpose, right? Yeah. So I was like, okay, usually when I'm depressed, I do comedy to make me feel better. But I am so depressed that I can't do comedy right now. So is that really my goal? And then that just sort of spiraled down yeah. and down. And I'm sure having a professional talk to would have got me out of that sort of negative yeah, mindset. I mean, I, I do therapy every week and it's so beneficial to me. Oh, I, I, for so many I reasons, but... But like, you know, they're like, I, I go every Friday and like, you know, yesterday, uh, we spent pretty much an hour talking about how comedy is going and, mm-hmm. and cause I'm working, I'm doing a lot of this on my, I have help along the way, but it's like, yeah. I'm, my name is on that. So I'm producing this. I'm in charge of all these, these things, this podcast, the shows. And I'm like, I go to my therapist to talk to somebody who, with a sympathetic ear yeah, and she'll give me advice and whatever. And cause if I do it for a, to a comedian, it's like, oh, you're just talking shit or whatever. It's like, no, I need it on a, you know, as objective a party as yeah, I can get. Yeah, 100%. With, she's not afraid I'm not going to book her. You know, so yeah, she's yeah. not going to suck up to me. Yeah, yeah. And I'm on insurance, so she's yeah, getting yeah. the money either way. I would always look back. I don't think I'll ever go without a therapist again. It's, and, and that's the thing, too. It's like, why wouldn't you? Right. Why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't you? Yeah. Why wouldn't uh, a seemingly healthy person? Like, why wouldn't you? Yeah. I Yeah, I'm 100% pro-therapy. Like, do it, man. If you can, do it. And a lot of people use the stage as their therapy session. Mm-hmm. But sometimes that's yeah. self-destructive. Right. And that's, a, and that's the thing, too, is, like, if you're getting up for the wrong reasons, A, you're not getting better at comedy, and B, you're feeding into your own either insecurities or your own head, and it's not, it's not benefiting anybody. Yeah. And, and that's, the, that's the thing, and especially why I pull back sometimes is, like, I'm hyper-aware of... Am I going to get something out of this? Am I going to improve as a comedian? Or am I just going to go up because my ego needs it? And if that's the case, I just won't do it. Is that why you're doing the podcast as well? Yeah. Uh, what, tell me about the podcast a little bit. Right. So uh, it's called This Is Not Acceptable. It's Is it acceptable? At, uh, sometimes. Okay. Uh, it's available everywhere. Uh, but it's me, a 25-year-old comedian, and my friend, a uh, 42-year-old grizzled veteran uh, reporter. Right. He did the city beat for 20 years. So he's seen some shit. Yeah. Yeah. In yeah. Utica? No, Rome. Rome, okay. But um, uh, we like the idea of the juxtaposition of that, and then we just find funny stories, funny news stories, and talk about it, and we interject our own personal stories. And He's and, serious, you're dick jokes. Yeah, but it turns out he's funnier than I am. Oh, okay. But, uh, so backfired. Yeah, exactly. But no, it's I, I did it, first of all, because I liked the sound of that, and also it was low stakes, regular creating, because I was frustrated at the time. We've been doing it for about two years. I've been frust- I was frustrated at the time of my lack of creative output. And that does not include not just comedy because I dabble in music, you know, yeah. I write, I went to ha- I have a half a film degree. So okay. like uh, I've always been a creative person. Uh, yeah. F I okay. Film. So that didn't work. 
Every podcast, I got one joke that just fucking sucks. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's how I, I make my brand. Yeah, well, I edit those out. So. <laughs> On my podcast. If, if my podcast is without me being an idiot, they'll be like, no, he over-edited. <laughs> we need that trademark. Yeah. But yeah, so that that was the, the main thought process behind it. What have you gotten out of that? Uh, I mean, were you able to take anything that you learned on the podcast to the stage? It's definitely to commit. Yeah. To work harder. Because I, I'm going to, for my whole life, I've had a pretty bad work ethic. You are a millennial. That is true. And you know us millennials. <laughs> Some of those stereotypes are true. Some of them. Yeah. Yeah. I do cry a lot. Yes. Okay. Um, About stupid things? Well, to you, they're stupid. (laughs) To me, they're very fucking important. All right. Your trophy's (laughs) over here. You're going to get that later. And it's also like, okay, quick rant. Yeah, uh, boomers like to complain about millennials, but guess who raised us? Uh, you guys. That's you guys why. Did that's it. why. Like, like the participation trophy argument is silly mm-hmm. because you're the ones that gave them. Right now, I think it started a little bit after my. Like, I think Little League. I think a little bit after me because we we used to get first, second, and third place trophies. Mm-hmm. Not everybody gets a trophy. I'm gonna be. I've never got a participation trophy in my life, and I'm only I'm, I'm only 25. Well, did you did you do athletics? Yeah. Okay. So w- what'd you play? Uh, soccer, volleyball, lacrosse. Okay, yeah. So you should have gotten at least a participation trophy. Never once. Think. But maybe so. Maybe it's a myth, really. But I yeah, know, it's a like, straw man. Yeah, I just. Uh, but my parents were probably they're teachers. They weren't mm-hmm. gonna yeah. go for that. But my sister is a big proponent of. Oh, you know, he did this. You know, my nephew. My nephew's a good athlete. But mm-hmm. uh, when he wasn't, he was just kind of a little spaz. He uh-huh. still gets the same trophy and like and yeah, I guess they need it for their self esteem. But but my sister, who I would think would think just like me, because she's six years older, she's like, no, no, she's yeah. completely different as a parent. I'm pro I'm bullying like, okay. too. Are you? Yeah, for sure. I think I've to got, a point. Now I've got material on being bullied, so I think I've been able to turn that into something that works for me. Mm-hmm. But I think it makes you tough. Yeah, to an extent, you know, it's like it helps you, you develop know, personality. It all it could get you a Netflix special. Yeah, you know, like mm-hmm. or thir- was in Thirteen Reasons Why. Isn't that all like like I haven't watched yeah. it yet. Yeah, like, I'm it like don't watch it. It's I'm like fine. five years overdue, but it, it's about bullying, right? Yeah. Okay. It was about some girl who committed suicide because people were bullying her, and the thirteen reasons why were thirteen people that she named. Oh, in her tape, uh, she she released tapes. Imagine being for famous for that. Yeah, I know, right? Like, oh, I'm number eleven. It was scripted by. It, it, oh, it really? Wasn't a documentary. Oh, yeah. it sucks. No, no, yeah, it was just a TV show, I, which should make me feel better. <laughs> right. but, but ultimately, I'm like, no. I wanted a real girl to die. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, why yeah, I was yeah, depra- yeah. why I was sad about that. I don't know. That's that's I don't know. So, what are your aspirations for comedy? Yeah, Netflix special. Yeah, uh, quit my job, tour, be a working comedian. How likely, you know? Let's put the Netflix special on hold. Mm-hmm. But it's like you know, you're very, you're, you're far more closer to a working comic than you are a Netflix special. Mm-hmm. I think just math would say that or logic. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, what would that just entail? Just you paying your bills on comedy? Uh, yeah, traveling, working clubs everywhere. Honestly, I've never not been poor. Yeah. So I'll be poor, but as long as, you know, my shit gets paid. Well, there's so many stories. Like, I, I'm not a big Steve Harvey fan, mm-hmm. but the story with him is like, you know, he lived in his car for a couple of years while doing comedy. Yeah, I don't think and I'll do that. That's a, yeah, I, I don't think I could do that. I'm like, yeah, yeah. well, I need somewhere to charge my phone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? But yeah, I think that's making it for me. Right. Obviously, I want to be famous. I don't know if that's obvious. No. But I, most comedians yeah, probably yeah, I, do. I think so. I think, yeah. you know, my, my answer to that is as long as I can pay my bills doing comedy, I'm, I'll be happy. That's my goal. And, you know, like I, I produce a lot and mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I host a lot of shows but I, and I'm asked to do some shows, but I'm doing the podcast as well. As long as I can find an avenue in which to make money doing this, 
then it's a success. Mm. You know, so I don't Is there any comedian, like, who, who are the comedians you look up to now? I know you like Bo um, Burnham. Obviously, you know, he could be an answer as well. Yeah. Birbiglia, I think, if I had to model my career yeah, yeah, after someone. He's, he's the best. He's not me. my favorite comedian. Yeah. But if I had to model my career where he's like, I did it by myself. Yeah. I toured the country. I got my sea legs. I fucking, uh, he, he'll put out a special whenever he wants. He'll write, take, takes uh, two years off to write and direct and yep. star in a movie. Like, and he carved this thing out where he's like, I'm a comedian. I'm good at being a comedian and I love doing com- comedy, but I wrote a movie and I want to do yeah. it. And I'm going to self-produce. And that's like the, the fuck up. Like, I don't want to live in New York. I hate New York with a passion. New York City. And um, the, the misconception is that you need to go to New York to get better at comedy. You don't. You don't. You, you need to work and write and I have that ethic. I think it's easy to because you can hit you get, 20 you get, mics a week. You get spotted more too, right. Yeah. I always say that too. Like it, even if you're not ready to, like I don't think I'm ready to move to New York City, but I think if I move there, I would get ready for it quicker mm-hmm. than being up here. Because, yeah, yeah. Because like you're, thr- you're thrown into that market and it's like, okay, you need to either, either quit or adapt and mm-hmm. get better that way. And I'll say this, I will bet money that some of the shows that we do are a harder audience to win over oh, probably. than fucking any show in New York. Probably because they're used to there being a comedy show in New York. It's like, yeah. okay, let's go. Sometimes you show up yeah. do a show and they're like, oh, there's comedy here? Well, I've all, never been to a well, comedy also, show and, and also I'm drunk, so and, let's see how this goes. And the way my format, I, I went down from five people to four <clears> people <throat> on the show mm-hmm. and I'm able to give longer sets. Yeah, yeah. And the people from New York, I've had, I mean, no exaggeration. Three, set, three minute pro- set. Probably one, one or two comedians a month from New York City will message me like, hey, do you have any spots for me? And I'm like, you know, I'm always hesitant because I'm like, well, I don't have the budget to facilitate your travel, mm-hmm. let alone, and they don't care. Yeah, they, they just, just want, want time. They want 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, just like Stephen Rogers was just there for a show and he, he was able to do 40. And it's like, he doesn't get that going to club in New York. Now, granted, he's in a different position because yeah. he can, he does 20 for Regan yeah. and he's also, you know, booking himself other places. But for the typical New York comedian, they're getting seven, eight minutes, 10 minutes, 15 tops yeah. on shows. So if they can come up here and stretch, stretch out, plus they get another another group of fans. Right. Potential fans. Plus, by the way, Steve Rogers, you couldn't have picked a better, more deserving person to, yeah. to get picked up by Regan. Yep. He's incredibly nice. He's clean. And he's humble. As humble as you can be Dude, in that he, position. So in, in my worst moment in comedy, he was there and he consoled me. Yeah. For sure. He's just and a nice I don't guy. Think he, I don't even think he knows that. Probably not. Um, probably but, didn't Probably didn't know it was your worst moment ever. Oh, I'm he sure knew. that. Oh, okay. You want, you want to hear what? Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. Because, like, I always ask, you know, like, what, what's your worst show? And, and so, go so for it. So this wasn't a show. This was an open mic okay. at Funkin' Waffle. Okay. And he would go there. He was a Syracuse guy, right? So all the Syracuse guys would go there. And I looked up to him because he was so fucking polished. Him, RJ, uh, Abdul, uh, yep. Justin, they would all go up there, fucking kill. And then I'd listen to Dan McCourt do whatever Dan McCourt does for right, 45 right. minutes. Um, but anyway, so I was on stage. I ran out of material. I started doing crowd work like a jackass at an open mic. I, and uh, there's a group of people in front of me, and they're all SU students, and they all happen to be Asian. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, and I was like, hey, so what are you guys here for? They all ignored me. I was like, hey, what's up, guys? All ignore me. So I go, hey, do you guys speak English? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone in the room gasped, except right. for my friend who's recording my set, burst out laughing. They all look up at me, and they're like, yeah, we do. And they got up and left. Oh, man. And I was just like, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, I guess I'll leave too. And I just got off the stage and I just buried, like, literally, I just oh, buried man. my head in my, my arms as they walked by me while I was sitting at my table. So what and did Rogers say? 
Roger came up to me. He's like, hey, man, don't worry about it. Like, it's cool. And then uh, RJ came up to me. He's like, I told an autistic kid to shut the fuck yep. up one time. Yep. I, so, I didn't know that happened, but it sounds just like RJ MacArthur yeah. to say that. Yeah, because well, I guess there was just some, some guy screaming, yeah. and he was a severely autistic guy. He didn't know that. He had no idea. He just heard some guy screaming in the audience. He was like, hey, can you shut the fuck up? Yeah. And it turned out. But yeah, they were both like, hey, man, like shit like this happens. It's fine. And uh, I was like a, maybe a year in. And I was like, fuck, I'm going to quit comedy. I didn't yeah, actually think yeah. that, but it was like, that was the worst moment that has ever happened to me. But also, like, they should have acknowledged me when I was trying right. to just be like, no. And then I wouldn't have done it. Have you ever really been close to quitting? Um, I have stopped doing it for half a year, but I've never quit. No. Okay. I've never thought, like, no, I'm done. I'm still young. You know, I'm only yeah, 25. And so, you know. I've thought about telling other people to quit. Me too. For sure. <laughs> me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, you live with Phil Canarelli. Yeah, yeah. How is that dynamic in, in the apartment? Like, I mean, because I've seen material. You've got stuff on him, and I'm sure yeah. he's got stuff on you. Yeah. And uh, you're not a squirrel, right? No, I'm not okay. a squirrel. Right. No, no, Good thing, because yeah. he doesn't like squirrels. Yeah. But how is that living with another comedian? It's great. Um, we write together. We workshop together. We And, and it's the thing we were talking about on the podcast we just did, where it's just like, you, we, you, there's a level of understanding and bond that you will not have at least that quickly with a, another non-comedian right so like we get each other and um he's a great roommate i hope i'm a good roommate um, i don't know everything he tells me is negative so we'll <laughs> yeah, but no he actually said that you i think you do pay your rent on time I, uh, yeah I do. which is i i know his past roommates <laughs> that is a huge thing yep yep well that's um so and no it's great and I, I did have to tell him the other day though i'm like you have the decency to tell me that you're going to run a joke by me before saying it. Oh, yeah? Because that's my pet peeve, that I will never cross that line. Well, like a common joke? Like, you guys were, you know, had the same experience in the apartment? No, right? no, no. Okay. So, you know how you like, hey, do you mind if I run a joke by you? Oh, I get you, I get you. He didn't say that. He just Got started it. doing a joke. And I was like, hey, yeah. this sounds like a, is this sounds a like joke? Because I will never say no if you're like, yeah. hey, can I run a joke by you? I will never say no, ever. I'll always... You know, give you my honest yeah. opinion and I'll hear it because I love that shit. But like, tell me. You have to tell me because especially with your non-comedian friends, that's a line you need to distinguish because yeah. you can ruin relationships. You've, like uh, you've seen Don't Think Twice, right? Yeah. It's like that, that whole line is like, no, that's a bit. That sounds yeah. like a bit. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. It's like, I, uh, whenever I talk to somebody, I'm like, I, I, I have to preface it. Because yeah. Because unless it's not a comedian, mm -hmm. I'm like, all right, well, let's see if I can slip this see, in again. I, I don't like doing it to, to non-comedians because it's like, especially because... I only have like 10 friends and that's the oh, way yeah, I yeah, want yeah. it. And all of my friends have been my friends for 15 years. I don't want them to start looking at like, oh, is this like, is he probing my relationship? Right. And I am. I totally am because that's just my mind. That's how my bra our brains work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. like, I don't want everything to be about comedy. I don't want to be a selfish friend. That's hard to do for me. Yeah. I know that. Like, how do you compartmentalize that? I don't know, man. When they, it's, I guess it's kind of easy when you share, like when people have seen me cry and seen my dick, like yeah. I think there's a level of pretense that is not Wait, there. cry because they saw your dick? No. Okay. No. They've sure seen me that. cry and in separate <laughs> in, and incidents okay. they've All seen right. my dick. Okay, I gotcha. I yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, I just, I, I find it very difficult to keep comedy, out. I'm so saturated in it though. Yeah. That, yeah. I, I, one of the things I talk about with my therapist is that, that, okay, well, you have to not do comedy every day because you have to take time for yourself mm -hmm. and have downtime. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. But comedy is for me. Yeah. It's like, it's like I, I don't know. Like, so I'll do a podcast and like on, a, on a Sunday, let's say, I'll schedule a podcast. I'm like, okay, that should be my day off. But I'm like, oh, that's not a day off anymore. I, I got to do something. I got to edit, do, do whatever. How do you create that balance? 
just personal life and because um, especially if you struggle like men like depression or whatever, mm-hmm. that's got to be incredibly important. Uh, I think a lot of it is I'm not very good at that. Okay. So the, and that probably what causes me to to sort of spiral and, and stay in that depressive state and not do it for a little bit. And I've come to realize that I, sometimes if I'm full in on comedy mode, like hitting every mic I can, only focus on looking at everything in the lens of is this a bit, I realize that I, uh, you know, the ego and the jealousy and the comparing to others comes in and I have to sort of look at myself and be like, I don't like this parts about yeah. me. So take a step back. And I think right now my mindset is... And that's why I'm so focused on if I have nothing constructive to gain for this mic, I won't do it. Because I can easily fall into, uh, well, I have nothing constructive, so this this mic didn't go well, but that person's did. Yeah. So, oh, but I'm funnier than that guy. So, you, so you're trying to get away from that competitive mindset. Yeah, because that's the thing, too. Like, objectively, I know this isn't a competition. Rising boat, yeah. whatever, you know, rising tide, you get it. But that doesn't mean I don't have an ego and, uh, and you know, self-consciousness where someone like me and I'm sure someone like you who our entire identity is being a comedian, yeah. if you're not good at it, then what is – then what I'm, am I? And someone like me who I – I have a bit of an ego with it. Like I know that I'm really funny and I need to check that sometimes. Right. And be like I don't have to be, have the best set every night. That's fine. When you go to a new room, is that kind of your test? Like, okay, like, how funny am I? Let me go to Syracuse and try something out. Let me go to Binghamton. Let me go to, you know, yeah. another place in Utica. I think so. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Kind of get an accurate read. Yeah. But, but and, and that's the thing, too. And that's something, that's the mindset that I slip into, especially when, when my mental health isn't the best. Because when I'm feeling good, I don't care. Like, I'm literally just like, whatever, I had a bad set. That guy had a really good set. Yeah. For whatever reason. And that's fine. But- Especially when 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 I'm in a downswing, and this is all that I have, it takes you know, it if takes you, that toll. If you could open for one comedian, mm-hmm. who would it be? Would it be Birbiglia? Probably not. Okay, because like I said, he is a, a model of my career. Right, so you'd clash. That I want, but yeah. I, he's not my favorite. Okay, if I can open for one comedian right now, alive. Well, if you want to open for a dead guy, you can. But, you know, <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't know what material he's got left. I really don't know. Like, it's one of those things where it's like, now I just want the opportunity and I'll open for anyone. Nate Bargatze. Yeah, he's a great, great joke writer. A fucking hilarious joke writer. When you can work clean, too, and get the same reaction he does, it, it to me, it's like a magic trick. Yeah, I always, tr- like, I always dabble writing clean material, but A, it feels disingenuous to me. Right. And B, I'm not very good at it. It's tough. It's tough. Uh, and that's why someone like Mike, or, or not, sorry, I was about to say Rogers, you, yeah. but, but Steve Rogers, where it's like, it's never been, I've never looked at Steve Rogers and be like, oh, that was a really funny clean set. It's just like, that was a really fucking good yep. set. And oh yeah, he's a clean comedian. And I think that's why, and I don't know if it's super, I'm sure at this point it, it is sort of his mindset because he's becoming well, a Well, I've talked to him but, about that and, you know, he just doesn't seem like it's, he doesn't, he has a joke. Where he said, I just look silly saying the words. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't look like I'm a guy who can swear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I'm, I look like I'm a guy who says, gee golly whiz. Yeah. You know, and, and he's right. You know, I've heard mm-hmm. him swear before. It's not like he, he's completely I've heard you know, him say, PG offstage. I, yeah, I know. I've, I've heard him say, <laughs> I'm not going to tell it. I'll tell it to you off the mic. Yeah, yeah. But uh, he, he said a joke that took me completely 
off guard one night in um, at Funkin' Waffles, and it's one of my favorite things I've ever heard him say, and he'll never say it again, I'm sure. Well, I heard him uh, go off on somebody who was heckling him in those days. Yeah? Yeah, and, and you know, when he swore, because he said the F word, and when he swore, everybody who knew him just looked, yeah. and were like, oh shit. He's he, it's like It's like your dad getting really, yeah. like, my dad... <laughs> My dad told my sister once, he goes, you've had all cocksucking day to clean this room. And I was like, I've never heard him say that before. <laughs> like, I was like, I, since when? Who told my dad about cocksuckers? Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, I was yeah. like, oh, shit, you're in trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm probably in trouble, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But For that's sure. weird. Have you ever tried that? Like, like just, just like, okay, well, 10 minutes, I'm just going to be the cleanest possible and just, just feel comfortable with it at all? Um, well, because that's the thing. Like, incidentally, I have yeah. clean co- Material, yeah, cool. and sometimes you, you I'll put it into it. a set. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't feel the need to. Yeah, and because I don't think I would want to pigeonhole myself into a clean comedian. That Again, seems like the struggle too. It's like, well, I, I, I got to get out of that, yeah. and then I just I, try to write I, the best. Am jokes. I afraid to swear? Yeah, and sometimes that the best version of this joke that I'm writing happens to be a clean joke. Yeah, uh, sometimes it's not. Most of the time, it's not. I had a joke that was really working for, for a while, and it was like, you know, comparing. You know, I don't have fruit in the house, and it's like my grandpa went was in World War II, and I can't eat five bananas in four days. Mm-hmm, yeah. And that line always worked. I'm like, that's weird. Like, it's it, I didn't talk about fucking a banana. Yeah. <laughs> I was just, it was just like, like, oh yeah, it related to people. Yeah. Plus, like, it's oh, very, it's very, um, the Wonder Years. Yeah, the the Great Generation. Oh yeah, 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 Great Generation. Jesus Christ. Yep. The and Wonder by the Years. way, every yeah, single such a good album. I, out of my entire friend group, yeah. every single time there's a birthday of 26, I can't, I I know, can't wait till May, because I'm going to be like, so, I, By the way, I'm, I'm wearing, like, I have three I have three hoodies yeah. anymore. Like, I wear, this is a one year's hoodie, and yeah, it's like uh, passing through a, a screen, screen door. door. Yeah. I think that's the song, and that, that line hits me every time. Jesus Christ, I'm 26. All the people are graduating. Oh, my yeah. God, it hits me. And I'm 36. I'm about yeah. to turn 37. And by the time this airs, it'll probably be 37. The ironic and thing is that oh, he's, man. Uh, he has a, a kid and a wife. So. I know, I know. And now he's fine. <laughs> I know. Uh, Dan Campbell, man. If like Dude. Aaron West in the Roaring Twenties, such a fucking good Dude, band. Dude, so I saw, I went to Warped Tour a couple like a couple years before the last yeah. one. The Wonder Years were on there, and so was Aaron West. He did an acoustic set. And he had the fucking, uh, he had laryngitis. And yeah. he did both sets. He fucking he did the Aaron West set, went to the ER, came back to oh the other God, set. So fucking good. And by have you seen Aaron West yes, play? It's great. Dude, uh, he kept on Rochester. reaching for a, a wedding ring that wasn't there yeah. and like catching himself. And like he was so fully into that character. Yeah, and it's funny because like he'll come out. It's like a, it's not I'm Dan Campbell from the one yeah, years. No, he's also Aaron West. He is Aaron West. I have a signature. I have the, the, God, the does he sign it Aaron West too? Yeah, I have the American uh, divorce in the so Midwest good. or whatever. He signed to Aaron West. Yeah, I saw him in uh, in Rochester, and so and good, a friend I was with, like, uh, she's a big fan too. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my god! And it's like I didn't know what to expect. And like he's uh, Bill's country up there. Yeah, yeah. So he talked about, oh yeah, my well, Orchard that's the Park. Thing too. It was really funny because so I saw him in the Aaron West show. He was wearing a Bill's shirt and a hat. Yeah. He, and he's an Eagles fan. And then he changed. And then yep. for for the one year said he's wearing Eagles. That's stuff. fucking awesome. I was like, dude, that's so sick. Yeah. And the fact that he kept grabbing for his ring, yeah. I was like, that's such a small little thing that I don't think anyone but me noticed. No. But it's just like such an and, obvious. And thing. I wonder if that's like the performer in you. Like, yeah. you know, oh, oh, that's, that's sold it. When did you start teaching at the Uptown? So I started teaching at the Uptown last spring or summer. We've done two rounds of classes so far. And you're doing that with Cortland Clues? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep, we're, we're co-teaching. How do you work w- to, w- together? Like, how do you work with each other? Um, well, it's kind of natural because, like I said, we're not really running it like a, a, a t- oh, here's how to be funny. It, it's more along the lines of, 
This is a writing workshop where everyone is working on material and we just happen to have done it longer. So like we know sort of best practices when writing and that's more along the lines of what it is. So it's more collaborative honing of material. We're not, we're not teaching any like techniques uh, of stand-up comedy. We're not teaching like, oh, you got to do all this, you got to do this. The point of our class is we start at the six weeks with an idea and at the end of the, that six weeks, we turn that idea into a five-minute set. Okay. Do you think the the formation, obviously this wouldn't happen without the ups on there. Right. Yeah. But because they're bringing in new talent, <clears throat> do you think that's kind of building that scene in another way? Like, okay, well, we have this raw talent, now take this class, and you're going to get them to be long-standing members of the community. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that even goes beyond the class, too. Like, for the longest time, it was Phil, Cortland, Larry, and I, and we were the four comedians in Utica. And then the Uptown opened, and now there's 15 people at the mic. Right. And they're all really funny. They're all And they're all taking it seriously. Except for Phil, kind of yeah. really. But he wasn't funny before. So. Oh, that's true. So, okay, got yeah. it, got it. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It's not in you. No. Yeah. <laughs> and I truly, truly believe that taking the class sets you so far ahead of, of like, a new comedian. Just because it, it, we really try to instill the idea of writing, rewriting, bringing it in front of someone, you know, bringing it in front of a, a crowd, rewriting after that, and, and getting a polished set. Because I think a lot of times, uh, especially for new people, the idea is you tell a joke once and that's it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and you just need to keep you just need to keep writing new jokes, which I think personally you shouldn't really try to get a, a, a huge set of material right when you're starting because you don't know how much of it is good. For someone like you who does do a lot of turnover of material, but you've also been writing for how many years? Yeah, four. So, so you, you, a lot of those processes that we're teaching them to do, that's something that comes natural to you, and you can cut out some of those steps because you know, you know your voice, you know what works, what doesn't. Um, that's debatable. Well, you know, you, but you know how I know a lot of people who say I don't know how to write a joke, and they're not altogether wrong. But I, because you're not quite uh, like Funny. a one-liner. Oh yeah, yeah. you're not quite right. like you. You have your own sort of yes. style, yeah. and that's something that you I think have developed, which which I appreciate because that's something that I'm like in the past year or so been comfortable. Like, okay, I've been doing this for seven years. I know what my voice is. I know. Like the, the the perspective in which I'm writing my material, and I think, again, that's something that takes a while, and we try to instill that in, in people too. How much? I mean, you got to emphasize patience in there. Have you seen that? <laughs> have you seen that's hard to get through to people? Like, just hold on, you'll get it. You know, because mm -hmm. I know for me, if I don't get something right away, I get frustrated, and I'm like, come on, like it's a video game, like I'm gonna throw my controller across the room. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's. We've had the whole sort of spectrum. Like, some people are like, it's okay. And then some people are like, I'm already the funniest person. And they're not at all. I hate working with those people. Uh, and, I, you know, I don't want to get specific. It would be pretty obvious who I'm talking about. But this one person just was not respecting the class. They weren't doing the work we were asking them to do. And you can tell they were just there to say they were and to be in front of an audience. Because yeah. it ends with, with a showcase. And you can tell it was like, oh, this is what I want to say. I'm not going to respect the sort of collaborative work on it attitude. 
and I'm, I'm just going to do a show. Yeah, and that's, that's kind of productive everything. Yeah. And it's also like, just go to an open mic because you spent $110 to be here. You don't have to do that. Right. Do you feel pressure? Because you, you had a lot of success in Cortland. Or in Cortland. <laughs> you know, anytime Cortland Clues' name comes up, yeah, and I talk about Utica. I, I just I interchange it too. When I'm in Cortland, sometimes I call it Utica Clues. It's weird. <laughs> you know? But no. But you you've had a lot of success in Utica. Do you do you feel like the, there's pressure on you to answer all these questions? I mean, obviously the students are there to learn from you. Mm-hmm. But you're like, well, you know, I'm you know two time champion, two, three. Yeah, two. Okay, two time champion at Cavallos or whatever. Dick and a half. But do you have that pressure on your back? No, and I think a lot of that. For me, is because I don't necessarily like I I don't want to sound ungrateful and I don't want to sound unappreciative and like all the stuff is beneath me. But to me, it's very much like, okay, what's next? Like like I I, I appreciate that I uh, here I'm known as a very talented comedian, but I, my 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 ultimate goal is to be a, a famous comedian and yeah. I'm not that yet. So you know. I, like I said, I love Utica and I love being. You mean Cortland? Yeah. Okay, sorry. No, he's a, he's alright. <laughs> no, uh, I, I love being known as a, a funny guy here, but you know, it's very much the infancy of my career. Right. So, um, and I also don't love speaking from a point of authority, which is weird because I'm teaching a class. Yeah. But but again, it's not like I want to stress that like I don't run it as like here's how to be funny and if you take this class you'll be funny and if you don't take this class you, d- you don't know how to be funny and if you don't write jokes like me you you won't be funny right that's not what I'm trying to do I'm just the point of the class is to emphasize how important the writing and rewriting process is and also how to find your own voice and that's something that a lot of brand new comedians don't even think about so I know I didn't right and I didn't yeah. either I didn't either um, I did started writing in my own voice, like, very, very um, soon. I wouldn't say, like, I had my own style or voice, but, yeah. like, I, I was writing from my perspective. Because I think Joe Rogan said this, where he's like, there's three stu- there's like three levels of jokes. There's, like, one, you'd say anything for a laugh. Two, you start crafting jokes, but they're not necessarily the most honest or personal. And then three, it's just, like... This you're writing from your own point of view. You're you're dealing with your own issues and and perspectives in these jokes, and that's tends to be the most funny or you know the most easily connected to. Right. Do you, do you think this class has made you a better comedian? Yeah, I do. How be- so? Because it's it's forcing me to do it the right way. It's forcing me to not put a bit away because it didn't work, or not get, like give up on a bit halfway through if it's not landing. Like, it's forcing me to take what I'm saying seriously. Like, you have to write, you have to rewrite, you have to take it as a craft, because that's what it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's sort of like, if I, I can't, I have to practice what I preach. And those contests I refer to, those mm-hmm. Cavallos, right? Those Phil Fardo stuff? Yeah, well, yeah, it's mostly a Cavallos, but I mean, he... Utica Comedy Cup. Yeah. Right? Okay. Because mm-hmm. Phil Canarelli did Utica Brews. Yeah. So I get those confused every once in a while. What was that process like for you? Because, like, take me through that. Like, so... Well, it's funny because I've lived here my whole life, save for barber school and college. And the first two and a half years of me doing comedy, I wasn't doing it here. I'd never done anything until the, the first cup that right. I did. Because uh, I was just out in Syracuse. So I didn't know of anything out here. 
I didn't think that there were people. And then I did that first show, and I met people like Phil, and I yeah. met people like um, uh, Mike Pileggi, and I met Phil Farda. Yeah, it was, it was fun. I, I didn't know what to expect, but I showed up to that first show, and again, there's a wide range of comics. Some people who have never done comedy before, some people who are like comedians from Rochester who have been comedians, and, and then there's the local guys. And um, I didn't know what to expect, but um, it was fun. And it was fun to... A lot of people were like, oh man, this guy's funny, like all, all the other comedians, which was fun. Because again, I didn't really have the group like mentality. Yeah. Because I lived out here... And, like, I'm not saying that the guys in Syracuse were mean to me or anything, but it was just, like, I would get out of work, shower, drive to Funkin' Waffles, do my set, stay as long as I could, but I had to go home at an hour and a half drive so I can work the next day. So it's not like I was hanging out with them. They're all very supportive. They're all great guys, but it was, it was never, like, a camaraderie, uh, with me, at least. Be, just yeah, because you're I an wasn't outsider. Out there. Yeah. yeah, I wasn't out there. So it was, it was fun to, to, to meet people like Phil Canarelli and, and uh, Mike Pileggi and my good friends. Like like I said, like all of my friends are either through Magic the Gathering or comedy. And like my roommate is from comedy. And you admit to both of those. I, oh, 100%. <laughs> I got a Magic the Gathering tattoo. <laughs> I think okay. I'd be more embarrassed about the friends you keep. You know, from comedy. You know, yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's, that's way worse. Mm-hmm. The host, the, my co-host of my podcast, which you will be on eventually. Yeah, yeah. Um, I met him through 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 Magic about ten years ago. And he's what? Is he ten years older than you? No, he's forty one. Oh, that's right. I forget. I keep forgetting you're. I'm twenty five. Yeah, you're, you're, you're a baby. I I just turned twenty six. Actually, <laughs> okay. whenever this comes yeah. out, who knows? We'll yeah. see. Well, you got some big plan, right? You mm. got a special coming out. Uh, or you're working on one. Yeah, I. I'm going to film a special this uh, coming out. Well, we're going to film it mid to late August. So yeah. is this just a culmination of seven years of work? Yeah, and, th- and that's what it is. I I know Phil can attest to this. I've been very sort of frustrated, along with what I was saying about being a local guy. I've been sort of frustrated with the lack of progression in my career. Um, but it's also I was just bummed out about it. And I was thinking, like, it's fucking 2020. I can make a special right and I'm gonna and I'm doing it like the right way and it turns out the right way is a lot cheaper than you would think so like I got I hired a videographer we're gonna rent uh, an Alexa which is uh, sorry I didn't know if uh, it was gonna yell at us you rent oh okay I guess yeah, we're gonna rent an Ari uh, Alexa which is yeah. the camera they shot Avengers on oh, okay like so I'm gonna shoot it like a professional special I'm gonna try to sell it if no one buys it I'm gonna put it out myself because whatever, you know, why not? That's awesome. I mean, are you doing this by any other model? I mean, have you seen somebody do this before? Mm, no. Okay. So no. it's a wholly original idea. Wholly original. It's, and that's the thing, too. It's like I, I I fear that the way we're having it set up is a little too gimmicky, but I, it's not going to be in the way of the, of the comedy. So uh, a part of me doing it myself, like a DIY movement, I want to show up, so it's. I'm going to shoot it in the back of a U-Haul in the parking lot. Jesus, <laughs> yeah. which nobody's ever done before. Exactly. Um, like, I guess, kind of inspired by Maria Bamford, who right. did, who did like a show in her living room to her parents. parents. Yeah, it's amazing. 100. percent She's incredible. But, but yeah, I want to. I want to show that I can do it. You know, I definitely have an hour of material. I'm walking around with more than an hour. So, right now, what I'm doing. 
for the next couple months at, at open mics is I'm brushing up old material. I'm recording those sets. I'm taking those sets into Ableton and I'm cutting out into an hour. Uh, and once I have that hour that I like, I'm going to start doing that hour for like a couple months before the before the recording and then I'm going to record it. So afterward, done with that material? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, it takes yeah. how long. Depends on how long. I, how long I, you can milk it. Yeah. Uh, you know, if uh, if someone buys it and they put it out immediately, then yeah. Yeah. But if I, you know, it takes me months to edit and it takes months to sell it and then it turns out no one sells it so I put it out myself then yeah as soon as it is public I will throw out that material oh, man that's that's for me like I don't like you said I turn over a lot of material mm-hmm. and which I don't know if it's I don't know if it's a good idea I think it's just just the way because I'm running all these rooms and hosting all these shows I have to bring new to that room uh, yeah. like a new 15 mm-hmm. uh, just about every month so you know, I don't have like one or two bits where I just hold on to it for dear life. But man, I, I'd hate to say goodbye to any of that stuff because I can always pull it back. And ugh. not that anybody's yeah, offering yeah. me a special anytime soon. Right. But you know, it's that's what, but that's it's what like I'm saying. Buried. No one has to offer. It yeah, that's, that's very true. I mean, like seriously, I was looking at the prices, and it is shockingly cheap to to shoot a professional special by yourself, especially if you have friends who know what they're doing. You just need good sound and what two or three cameras. Yeah, two or three cameras and a rental. Like I said, for this camera that I'm renting is not a, that expensive at all for like a two day rental. Nothing. So what's the end goal? I mean, obviously you you sell the special mm-hmm. and do you stay around Utica? I mean, if if ideally someone like Netflix buys it, yeah. puts it out that does well, and then I can get some traction, quit my job, and then do the road. Move anywhere but New York City. Yeah, I, I wouldn't move. I would just do the yeah. road. I I have no need to move I think his name I always forget how to pronounce it Pete, no I remember that one oh. Pete Coriello I think I think he's in Buffalo mm-hmm. and he opens for Regan and I saw him in Binghamton and he's got a Showtime special but he's based I don't know if he still is but a couple years, as a couple years ago he was based in Buffalo mm-hmm. he can do whatever he wants you know people know him mm-hmm. he's got enough I assume he's got enough money in the bank to facilitate you know taking time off but yeah, he doesn't need to move to a big city. Well, that's the thing too. Like, if you're booking shows, if your job, if your full time job is comedy, and you're doing Des Moines and, and and Spokane and and like fucking Florida, whatever. If you're doing if you're doing shows three nights a week, you don't need to be in New York so you can do twenty mics. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're working material out on the road, and you're making money. So why wouldn't you? you right. Know? No, it just seems like a if I, if solid I can, business plan. Yeah, I mean, I love my apartment, I love my roommate, and I love how cheap my rent is. So, if what that you, means... What do you pay for rent? Uh, $500. Just you? That's, yeah. That's not bad. And that includes everything. Oh, man, so, I'm I'm paying about 1000 Are you serious? Oh, yeah, yeah. In Binghamton? Yeah, I mean, it's a castle. I mean, I have a moat My ex-girlfriend lived out there. Her, she, it was a six-bedroom, and she, the whole rent was 430 Is there a moat? Because that's really what I'm paying. Are you? I don't. I've never seen your house. You're gonna show me a picture of it. Oh yeah, no, no. I have an alligator out there. Now I have to. I have to buy dogs to feed the alligator. <laughs> that gets pricey. That, so, so you factor that into absolutely. It. No, I. I have a two bedroom with a garage, and it's a townhouse. It's an Endicott. So it's. Oh, it's an Endicott. I'm guessing it's a nicer place than a six bedroom in Binghamton. Yeah, because she lives. Uh, she lives. Yeah. Well, I'm not gonna tell you where. Yeah. I'm not gonna say on the podcast. Yeah. No, I'll, I'll get the address I'll, later. I'll, yeah, I'll tell you yeah. later. No, I'm just always fascinated by the rent because I, I paid 
twelve thirty in Maryland. Yeah. So now I'm paying nine forty nine fifty five in Endicott. So it's I save money by moving. Mm-hmm. But whenever I tell somebody, oh, I pay this much, like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, yeah, why? I think they just saw this big city rube coming to Endicott. Yeah, yeah. Like, we can get a lot of money. <laughs> but I do like the place. And my cats like the place. So yeah. that's enough, you know? For sure. And it's hard enough to find a place that will allow pets. Yeah, well, my apartment. Hopefully they never listen to us. Can't imagine I ever will. I'm not allowed to have more than one cat. Mm. Didn't know that until I got three of them. <laughs> and then uh, I'm also supposed to pay like a pet deposit a uh-huh. month, like 50 bucks a month. Not doing that. 50 bucks a month? Yeah, I think so, yeah. That's... What? No, well, that doesn't make any it's sense. It's just a whole lot easier to not tell anybody you have them. Yeah, of course. The maintenance people are under the impression that I'm, I'm paying for the yeah, deposit. Yeah, why would I be? Yeah. And every once... Rarely does anybody from the leasing office come up and see three cats in the window. But yeah. if they do come up, they probably see one. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's okay. They don't notice one's gray, one's black, one's yeah. a tiger. So I'm like, oh. <laughs> so I'm working the system, man. But yeah. I figure if I got to pay nine fifty five a month, I'm going to get... 11, 14 cats. You know, I'll, I'll eventually make it worth it. Yeah. That sounds like a really pathetic way to live, actually. <laughs> I'm glad you're having fun in Utica, man. I, I wish, yeah, you, wish you all great. the best of luck with the special. Thank you, man. I Thank you. I, yeah, it's. Um, I'm sure I'm going to be calling a lot of favors, so you might get a phone call. Definitely, yeah. But, if, um, if you need to, really, like, if you need to work out the material, yeah, uh, let me know. For sure. Uh, you know, all I need to do is uh, just get your availability and form a show around you, and I need $600. Perfect. Well, That's I don't it. have Per show. Yet. Oh, well. <laughs> All right. We'll figure it out. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, because I, especially with within the next couple of months, I'm going to find places that will let me do an hour. Yeah, so. and that, I don't think it's that difficult. You know, I think you just need to go and approach the right people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you know, you've been around a while. You know who book shows, but, yeah. but even locally... As long as you can go in there and say, listen, I have a microphone, I've got a stool, I've got everything else, uh, all I need is two hours. And, you know, just get a good opener and, you know, a host or whatever, and you're yeah. set. I mean, you know how the comedy show works. Yeah, you know, for not, sure, I do. You know, yeah. so like, uh, but no, it's, and that's that's part of what I like about comedy so much is that it's such a DIY thing. It's like, mm-hmm. like I, whenever I tell people, it's low maintenance. You know, I got everything I need in the trunk of my car, mm-hmm. and we'll be in and out in like two hours. It's like a yeah. like a bank job. Well, that's the thing too. That's so crazy, and and just in general, like technology is so democratized right now that like the fact that like a sixteen year old can be a millionaire on YouTube, or yeah. the fact that it is possible for me to shoot a professional special with the money I make, it yeah. is insane. It's insane. I think it's great time to be alive, man. You know? <laughs> great, great time to be a comedian. Great, I was going to say, for everybody, I don't know about that. <laughs> but for Brendan McGurk, yeah. Yeah, man. For so, sure. Well, I thank you so much again for doing this podcast, man. Oh, I man, it's it. fun. Yeah, and you'll be on ours soon. That's what everybody keeps saying, but it well, never you'll happens. Probably, let's be honest. You'll probably be on ours before this comes out. So check out all right, uh, This all right. Is Not Acceptable all right. featuring Mike Peters. Okay, so that's an interesting thing because I can control when this comes out. So now it's like a race. Like, I can win this bet. We record every week. If you want to come down... To I don't want to. I can just delay it if I want to win the bet. Okay. Well, that's fine. <laughs> no, but we record every week. Whenever you want to come yeah, man. for the podcast. When do, you, when do you record? Usually on Sundays. Well, I'm at church all day on Sunday. Mm. It, well, it tell is, the priest to get his cock out of your ass, and then we'll... Um, it's not in my ass. It's in my mouth. Okay. We'll say, uh, I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> now I want to watch Stand By Me. <laughs> Anybody get that reference or no? Uh, yeah. All right. Lollipop. Yeah, yeah. Lo- mm-hmm. Well, I don't need to sing on the podcast. That's, <laughs> that's one thing I haven't done yet, and I'm not going to do it. 
But Jesus Christ. Yeah, Jesus. Like, <laughs> we're back to religion. Yeah, yeah. We gotta go. Okay. All right. Before we go to hell, like I think yeah. that's I think that's appropriate. Like, oh, real quick before we go, what uh, do you believe in God? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll go into it. I don't give a shit. Uh, I think I, I've said it before on the podcast too. Uh, I am agnostic. The only reason I'm I'm not an atheist is because I'm wrong an awful lot of times, <laughs> and I don't want to be wrong about that one. Mm. So, so I yeah. think there probably is a God. If there isn't, I'm not surprised. But I'm gonna I'm gonna lean on the side of there is one. Just in case. Mm -hmm. It's like the only insurance policy I can afford. (laughs) Nice. nice. Yeah. Cool. All right. I'll I'll see you in hell. Okay. Bye. Peeling back my sunburnt skin. I'll wait outside your bedroom. I hope they let me in.